Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Liquid Church. My name is Pastor Peter, and I'm glad that you guys are here for week three of our series, Last Words. We need to welcome some friends down in Mountainside, New Brunswick, and also some new friends in Garwood. Help me welcome them this morning. All right. Well, we are, we're glad that you're here today. You know, last week we saw dozens of people uh, respond to Jesus' words, today you will be with me in paradise. And here in Morristown alone, we saw 41 people um, pray to receive Christ as their Savior for the first time. And as a church, this is why we exist. We exist to lead people to Jesus and to see lives changed. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that is seeing that happen. So this Easter, we are pulling out all the stops to see more people trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. We want to make it super easy for you to invite your friends, your families, your neighbors. It's why we're hiding 100,000 Easter eggs, uh, you know, to just make it so simple for you. So who can you be inviting to Easter this year? You know, as I mentioned, we're in the midst of an incredible series. Pastor Tim has been doing a masterful job of helping us understand the last words of Jesus Christ. Now, as I think about Jesus' last words, it makes me wonder, what would my last words be? You know, like, what's that going to be like? What am I going to say? What profound thing am I going to say? And I happen to think that uh, my last words would take place right near or around a home improvement project. I'll probably be on top of a ladder, you know, that, that part that has printed in plastic, like, do not step here, that I'll probably be standing on that changing a chandelier. And it'll probably be something profound, like, whoops. Or, or quite possibly, it'll be like, I thought the power was off. I mean, that's, those are my last words, but uh, yours are probably way smarter than mine. But, you know, there was actually this moment when I was 26 where I truly thought these would be my last words. Uh, and so I thought that it was curtains for me. How many of you have heard that phrase, curtains for me or curtains for you? It's a theatrical term. It's a term that's used to describe um, just about every character on Law and Order. It's the moment where you're, you're dead. You've been ripped out of the script. You got, you got murdered that episode. And uh, so I thought that was the case for me. I thought I was done for. You know, my wife, uh, Tiffany... And my family, she does an amazing job um, with our kids. And so this is my son Noah, my daughter Grace, and my youngest Leah. Um, like I said, it was, um, I was 26 years old at the time. We only had Noah and Grace. And um, Grace was very, very sick. Like some of, some of the sickest I think she's probably ever been. And she had gotten the stomach bug. She was throwing up. It was coming out. Both ends, it was just pretty much the nastiest experience you could find. And when you walked into her room and you saw this precious little baby laying in, the, in her filth and her vomit, you just felt so horrible. It felt like, oh, this is terrible. Now, after a, a week of, of dealing with this type of illness, um, you know, my wife was just exhausted. All of you moms out there, can I get an amen to how exhausting that is? Yeah, that is, that's horrible. Props to you. Um, and so she, you know, goes and changes the, the crib uh, mattress one more time. She brings it into the bathroom to find her fully grown husband curled up in a ball like a baby on the floor going, Oh, I can specifically remember looking up and through squinted eyes going, 
I think I'm dying. My stomach hurts so bad. You need to get me to the emergency room. And my wife is so compassionate. She loves me so much. She looked down at me and she goes, get back in bed. And, you know, I thought, boom, this is curtains for me, lights out. It's either going to be my wife or this illness that takes me. But I'm going home. I'm going to see my maker. But I know that my pain is just minor in comparison to some of the pain that's going on around the world and even in this room today. You know, right now in Iraq and Iran, ISIS is, is systematically capturing and wiping out anyone that doesn't abide by their, their moral code. They're targeting our Christian brothers and sisters on a campaign to wipe out native Christianity in the Middle East. Another blight in our world is the sex trafficking industry. In the United States alone, sex trafficking, it, it creates a $9.5 billion industry where they see 300,000 children that are at risk of being prostituted this year alone. There are kids who are forced into slavery. They've lost their lives. They've lost their hope. They've lost their future. And they're forced to please the next depraved customer's sexual fantasies. Pain is real. Suffering is real. But I have a feeling that you guys already know this to be true. See, I know that some of you in this room right now are feeling the pain of abandonment. You know, maybe this is by a spouse or a parent or by a company that you've given the best years of your life to. And then one day you walk in the room and they use words like divorce, downsizing, or drama, and you are done. It's curtains. Or maybe others of you are feeling, uh, feeling hurt from a, an abuse. You know, abuse comes in lots of different forms in many different ways. And some of you have been verbally abused. And you hear the words and the voice over and over and over again in your head saying that you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not interesting enough. You are not satisfying enough. And boom, it's done. Or maybe some of you are in physical pain. And your body is just racked with pain. When you woke up this morning, it's beyond your control. There's something inside of you, something that's growing, that is causing you to be in excruciating pain. Yet while others of you, you know, pain is being caused by the fact that you're chasing the next high. You're drinking the next bottle. Or you're bringing the next fling into your bed. Maybe even physically harming yourself. And the marks on your, your arms and your legs, they tell a story of just how much pain you're in. And the curtain is drawn on your life once more. So where is God in the midst of all of this pain? Have you ever questioned God by saying, my God, where are you? My God, why? Has he left you so hurt and so hungover that you just feel empty? You know, life hits us where it hurts and when it hurts. And Jesus faced it head on. In fact, today we're going to look at one of the last words that Jesus said while he was here on earth. And he said these words while hanging on a cross. While history would tell us it is the most excruciatingly painful way to die, Jesus utters these words. So this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, or you can click over in your Bible app to the book of Matthew. We've printed this in, in your sermon notes as well. And Matthew was one of the disciples that followed Jesus. And Matthew is writing these words down because he wants you and I to see a picture of what it looks like to be in pain. 
See, the Jewish religious leaders, they accused Jesus of being a liar, a political activist, and somebody who was leading a rebellion to overthrow everything that they had worked so hard to establish, and they crucified him for it. So let's look at what Jesus said while he hung on the cross. In Matthew 27, verse 45 through 46, it says, From now until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Let's say this together, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus is hanging on the cross with nails pierced through his hands and his feet. And what does he say? He says, my God, why? Why? This is one of the most haunting questions in the entire gospel. Did, did Jesus not know the answer? Does he not understand, you know, cognitively what's taking place with his physical torture and his execution? No. He totally does. Of course he does. Because Jesus is fully divine, meaning he's fully God, which means he fully knows everything. But at the same time, he's also fully human, which means that Jesus fully understands the emotional ramifications of pain. See, Jesus never lost his divinity nor his humanity when he hung on the cross. Every emotion was ripping through the fibers of Jesus' body as he hung on this cross to die. Have you ever asked a question when you fully well know the answer? You know, maybe for some of you, this was the day that you lost your job, and you looked up and you said, my God, why? But, you know, cognitively, you know why. You know, you see that your company's profit margin is, is decreasing, and you know that there's been this talk looming around the office of having to shrink and downsize, and your position was one of those that got cut. You know, it, it makes sense. But try telling your emotions that something makes sense. Because something making sense, it just isn't good enough. My God, why? Why? You know, I need to let you in on what's been going on in my life these past few weeks because this is so relevant to me. My youngest sister uh, has been looking to get pregnant for quite a while, and her husband um, and had given me a call, and we found out a couple months ago that, you know, in fact, they were going to be joining us in this adventure called Parenting, and uh, we were celebrating with them uh, that this day was coming when their son would be born. And so it was 10 o'clock at night, and I received this phone call. I pick up my phone. It's my older sister calling me. She, you know, typically don't get a, a phone call after 10. And, and she says very urgently, she says, Peter, she's headed to the emergency room right now. She's in labor. They're going to be scheduling an emergency C-section. You need to pray. Just pray. And I get off the phone and just a few short hours later, I find out that my littlest sister is giving birth to her 22-week-old baby boy. When you looked at, at Will, everything about him was perfect. His hands, his face, his features, his feet, his whole body looked perfect. And in fact, if there, was, if there was no perspective, you wouldn't know that he only weighed 16 ounces. He looked 
absolutely the picture of perfection. But on the inside, his, his body was a mess. 18 hours later, my sister and her husband had to withdraw life support and say goodbye to their firstborn son. When I asked my sister if I could share this story with you, she said, yes, but I wish there was more I could tell you. I wish that I had more figured out, but I just don't have anything. I'm empty. See, cognitively, I knew what was going on. Cognitively, I knew that a child born at 22 weeks old has a very, very low percentage, a very low chance of survival. I understand that his lungs weren't fully developed. I know that his brain, that there were things happening there that, that would, a brain bleed would be far more likely at his age. So cognitively, I knew what was going on, but my heart was feeling something that was totally different. See, in, in Mark 14, verses 34 through 36, we get a picture of what Jesus was feeling even before he went to the cross. See, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was with his disciples, and, and he says this to them. He says, my soul is, what? Overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. But going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed, if possible, the hour might pass from him. And Jesus says, Abba, Father, or Daddy. He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what? What you will. See, it wasn't the splinters of the cross that, that made Jesus cry out. It was the tearing of his soul. It was a relational pain. See, Jesus is the son of God. He always has been, and he always will be. He, he has always been with God. Yet here on the cross, for the very first time, there's a separation between father and son, before, between Jesus and God. And he says, my God, why? See, I, I didn't know my nephew will. And I went through that pain. I understand that pain. But try imagining a son being wrenched from his father's arms, the ancient of days being ripped away. See, it was on the cross that Jesus was separated for the first time from his father. It's so easy for you and I to focus on, on the pain of the nails, the whipping, and, and the blood being poured out. And we're like, yeah, that would be incredibly painful. I get that. But this is a cry of deep emotional heartache. This is the tearing of a relationship between a son and a father who up until this point lived in perfect harmony. And it was our sin that was placed on Christ's shoulders. And you know what it did? It separated him from God's presence. This is what sin does. It separates us from the presence of God. And Jesus took this upon himself. He became sin who knew no sin, and he was cast from the presence of God. And as Tim has mentioned, any time that you and I look at the cross, we should see our sin there with him, because it was you and I, it was my sin, it was your sin that was put on the shoulders of Jesus Christ as he hung there and died. And sin tore him from his dad's side. In the Old Testament, God's presence was found in the temple. That was their, their church. It was, they were actually the first portable church. They would set this tent up, and it was the, the tabernacle. 
And inside of the tabernacle, there were several different courtyards. And as you got closer and closer to this center room called the Holy of Holies, this was where God's presence was. God's presence was in the Holy of Holies, this one small section. And one time a year, one man could dare enter into the presence of God. He would step through the curtain that was hung so that God's presence would not be experienced by all. And it was one man, one time a year, that he could peel the curtain back. And my guess is that it probably wasn't you, and it wasn't me, going through that curtain. See, the presence of God was a very real thing. They, they, they knew that God's presence was tangible. It was in one location. And to be cut off from that presence was also an option. See, in the Old Testament, King David writes in Psalm 51, verse 11, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his sin with Bathsheba, he writes this, God, do not cast me away from your what? Your presence. Do not cast me away from your presence. See, what happens? What happens when you feel cut off from God? Like there is something tangible between you and wherever God is. What do you do when you don't hear God's voice anymore? You know, how do we actually peel this curtain back? Typically, people go to three places. You know, the first place is many people will turn inward. If you're taking notes this morning, you can fill this in right there. People turn inward with their pain. People begin to look inside of themselves and they ask questions like, God, why? What are you doing? You know, it's an age-old question, timeless. People have been asking this for centuries. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he said those exact words. In fact, Jesus is quoting scripture. He's quoting Psalm 22 as a way of expressing himself and how he was feeling. Psalm 22 is the anguished prayer of King David. He's praying to God while his enemies are looking to attack him. So let's look at what King David wrote. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sounds pretty familiar. Sounds like something Jesus said, but this is a thousand years before that. See, David isn't on a cross. David is hiding from his enemies and he's in pain. But let's keep reading. He says, why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry by day, but you don't answer me. And by night, I find no rest. See, remember, these are the words of King David, and Jesus is quoting them. So don't miss this. Do not miss this. When you are in your pain, when Jesus was in his pain, what does he do? He turns to the words of Scripture to find comfort in his pain. And that should be a model for us. See, it's not only that. It's a foreshadowing of the pain that was going to happen to Jesus in the years to come. On the cross, Jesus gives us permission to ask my God why, to ask questions. You know, when I was laying on the floor clutching my stomach that day that I thought life was over, I was asking the question, what did I eat? Or more importantly, where, what restaurant am I never going back to again? Or my God, why Taco Bell? You know, it's like, Pain leads us to these deep inner thoughts. It leads us to this place where, you know, it, it can cause doubt and cause us to withdraw. But the problem comes when all we do is stay internal, when all we do is withdraw. 
See, we begin to self-medicate by binging on buffalo wings and, and blue cheese or shopping our pain away or watching porn to escape the current reality. My God, why? Will you ever answer my question? God, I've worked there for 20 years. I've been a great employee. My God, why? You know, God, I did everything I could to raise my kids the best way I know how. And now they won't even talk to me. They hate me. It's as if I'm dead to them. God, why? When my nephew, Will, passed away, it shook me. It, it was, you know, it shook me deep because it made me angry at God. It made me angry with myself even. And I cried for a nephew that I didn't get to meet and I wouldn't get to meet on this side of eternity. The night that Will was born, I prayed in a way that I rarely pray. You know, my, my prayers came from somewhere deep down inside of my gut, from a place that I was feeling. I was praying in a way that was so visceral, that was so aggressive. I was begging God, and, and I didn't stop with begging. I was reminding God. I was saying, God, you are God, and you can do this. There is nothing that you can't do. So would you please, please heal this boy? And yet, God seemed so silent as if there was a curtain being drawn and shutting me out of his presence. But you and I, we have to move beyond this because this will never move the curtain. This type of questioning and inner reflection will never lead us to the presence of God. And so a second option is this, we can turn outward. We can turn to the people that are around us for support and for help. But at times, this can leave us wishing for more. You know, we can look back at the scene of the cross to see people's response to Jesus. In verse 47, it says this, when some of those standing there heard this, they said, oh, he's calling Elijah. Well, why would they say that? Because Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Or maybe he's saying Eli, Eli, like Elijah. And then he goes on to say, immediately one of them ran and got a sponge, and he filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. And the rest said, oh, let's, let's just leave him alone, and let's see if Elijah comes to save him. See, when I look at this, I, three, I see three ways that people respond to those in pain. And one of the first ways is that people try to interpret the situation. In Jesus' case, they said, oh, he must be calling for Elijah. But when it comes to you and I, they say things like, oh, well, you know, if you stop smoking or if you stop drinking, God would heal you. You know, people make if statements to interpret what's wrong with you. If you, God would. And that just isn't the case. And secondly, people try to simple fixes, you know, Jesus is hanging on the cross in the midst of all this pain. He cries out, God, why? And somebody says, oh, maybe he's thirsty. Let's get him a drink. You know, Jesus, do you want a drink? But do you know what they offered Jesus? They offered Jesus wine vinegar, which actually was a mild sedative. It was a way to numb the pain. And so people will hand you all kinds of things to help you numb your pain. Maybe it's drinking the pain away or popping a pill until you don't feel it anymore. And people say some really stupid things to people in pain. Like, have you ever heard this one or something like this? You know, 
what do you think God's trying to teach you through the loss of your nephew? Well, gee, I don't know. What do you think he's trying to teach you through my fist? Like, I mean, really, that's what it brings out. You're like, gee, I, I knew the curtain was there, and now it just feels even more shut. Thanks a lot. Feels really good. You know, or some people just love to spectate. You know, they just love the idea of people watching. You know, people were standing around the cross. They're standing around and watching Jesus, and they go, huh, let's see how this plays out. Maybe Elijah will show up. You know, this is when people are talking, they're like, oh, man, did you hear about her husband's affair? Oh, it's terrible. I can't even believe it. I can't wait to see what happens. Like, what is she going to do? That never helps anybody. When our symptoms get so bad and the pain is overwhelming to the point where you and I need to seek help, you know, we reach outward. We look for other people. In Psalm 22, David describes his symptoms this way. He says, my mouth is dried up like a pot sherd, like a clay pot, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death, and dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Here it is again, foreshadowing of what's coming for Jesus a thousand years later. And these are the scriptures that are running through Jesus' mind as he's hanging on a cross. This is what, you know, his pain is, is pulling out. He's verbalizing his humanity through these scriptures. Or, you know what, we can look outward, you know, for help from people like counselors and life coaches, possibly, you know, even the church. As pastors and staff, we're here to help you 100%. Our spiritual care team is here to pray with you. And our life groups are here to walk alongside of you as you experience the hurts of life. These things can be good. In fact, they can be great. But at the end of the day, they're just other fragile human beings. And they can leave you looking for more. You know, you've heard me say before, and many of you know this to be, uh, to be true, but my dad was a pastor, and there was a, a day when a man walked into my dad's office. He, my dad had never met him. He didn't, knew, he didn't know who he was, and he introduced himself as Dr. Mike. And one of the first things that Dr. Mike said was, I am the leading um, pain management specialist in my field. People fly to see me from all over the country, whether it's chronic back issues it's a debilitating disease, or it's some sort of cancer. I treat people with incredible pain. But I do not understand what's happening inside of me right now. See, it was three days ago that I walked into my house, and I found my wife laying face down on my kitchen floor, and she had overdosed from pain meds because she was trying to medicate something internal. And here I am, you're a pastor, you're a man of the cloth, what am I supposed to do? I've never experienced pain like this, and I do not know what to do with this kind of pain. My dad looked across the desk and just said, Mike, there's only one thing you can do. As your wife has looked inward, and you're now looking outward, you must look upward. And this is where we find ourselves this morning. See, God has not been silent on the issue of pain and abandonment. In fact, one of Jesus' final statements, it lays a framework of how we're to understand and experience pain. Jesus says, my God, my God, why? 
And instead of looking inward or outward, Jesus turns and he looks upward. Even the Son of God looked upward. So look at me, look with me at the rest of the story. In verse 50, it says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up what? He gave up his spirit. Jesus gave up his spirit. In the moment that he was in his most pain, that he was in all of his hurt and all of his anguish, he places all of that into the hands of God the Father and says, I trust you. I give you my spirit. I give you my pain. But do you know what Jesus' real final words were? He says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Here's Jesus hanging on a cross, suffering unjust pain. And he cries out, my God, why? Yet he still trusts the Father. He says, I've been torn, I've been, I've been judged, I've been tortured by this cruel and sinful world, but Daddy, I give you everything I have. Father, I trust you. You know, if any one of you in this room were to say to me, Peter, you have no idea what kind of pain I'm feeling right now. You have no idea what it's like to be me. The pain that I'm experiencing is excruciating on the soul level. And I would tell you, you're absolutely right. I have no idea why you're in pain. But I do know that God knows what pain is. Jesus understands what pain is because he went through it. He endured the cross. He experienced tremendous pain. He knows it all too well. But God didn't stop there. See, knowing something isn't good enough. It's never good enough to, for someone just to say, oh, I know how you feel. No. See, it's never good enough for someone just to pat you on the back and send you on your merry way back into the, the world where your pain is so, so extravagant and so huge. No, God went one step even further than that. And in verse 51, it says, at the moment that the curtain of the temple was torn, it was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. My God, why? Why are you in pain? I don't know. But I do know that in your pain, God said it's not just enough for me to know. It's not just enough for Jesus to know what your pain is like. Because in the moment that Jesus gave up his spirit, the veil on the temple, the curtain was torn in two. And Jesus said, I will be with you in your pain. You never have to walk alone. You never have to worry about being by yourself in the midst of your pain. God's presence is now in the midst of your pain, and that's a good thing. See, God didn't stop with that. God said, I will be with you when you walk into that hospital room for that test. I will be with you as you pack your offices for the very last time. I will be with you as the divorce papers come across your desk. I will be with you when you are so anxious that you can't even think straight. I will be with you in your pain, and you will never be alone. See, unlike the priests who would enter into God's presence once a year, unlike the priests who had to clean themselves up, you and I can be in the presence of God right now, right where you are, and just as you are. 
You don't have to do anything to make God love you more. God tore the separation. He broke the divide between you and God so that you don't have to face your pain alone. See, on the cross, the son was torn from the father so that the curtain separating you from God could be torn. God may never take away your pain, but he promises to never take away his presence. C.S. Lewis has said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, in pain, you and I learn uh, what we would never see in comfort. All of our senses are heightened. The question is, what will you do with that heightened sensitivity? Will you look inward or will you look outward? I want you to meet someone this morning who has chosen to look upward to God. I want you to meet Ethan Hallmark. This little guy has experienced more pain in his short life than many of us ever will in our lifetime. Listen to 13-year-old Ethan as he shares his story about God being present in the midst of his pain. Well, I used to play baseball a lot. Used to be pretty much addicted to it. Live and breathe it, I guess. Stomach started hurting, I guess. Even when I was sitting at my desk in school, playing with my friends, it got really bad when the all-star season started, I guess. And I was playing center field. And our pitcher threw one right down the middle. And you could see the kid nail it. And I was just bending over, hoping he wouldn't hit it towards me because my stomach hurt so bad. It was making my legs hurt even. And sure enough, he hits it right towards me. And I'm like, oh, no, don't want to go get this ball. And then the next day, they did the biopsy, and they found out it was a stage four neuroblastoma. So we started, I think, six rounds of chemo. Just going. It was time to take that tumor out. I didn't really know that he was going to cut me from, like, literally side to side. It's huge. Then what he did with the stem cell transplant, my tongue, the skin on my tongue would peel off in long flakes. Even my eyelids had sores. It was awful. Antibodies. Sounds pretty easy, but it's not. I guess I was hitting my hands and saying, make it stop, but I don't remember that. Just waking up and going, oh, man, I don't want to do this. Really hard, really dark. Weird, and it's still nothing. I mean, obviously, I want to beat this disease, but I'm not going to be that sad if I don't. Of course, I want to live. Psalms 40, verse 5 is probably my favorite verse. It says, um, Many are the wonders you have done, Lord God. The things you have planned for us, nothing can compare. None can compare with you. If I were to count your mercies, they would outnumber the sands on the seashore. I know it's kind of weird that my favorite verse is mercies and whatnot. 
but it's true. Even though this cancer's had a lot of bad stuff, there's not been a lot of good stuff. I met friends that I would've never met. One friend I know has come to Christ just because I played with him. He's up there right now. I've grown closer to God, my family has. I wouldn't trade my relationship with Jesus for anything. Nothing at all. If I do pass away from cancer, I'm gonna be focused on the goal. And when I get there, even if it's soon, hope to kneel before him and hear him say, hopefully hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Obviously, I want to beat this disease, but I'm not going to be that sad if I don't. Of course I want to live a long life. Who doesn't? But it's not really my plan, though. Those are the words of a 13-year-old boy who can clearly articulate what it means to be in pain, but also what it means to know that God is in the presence of your pain. See, when Ethan and his family encountered stage four neuroblastoma, which, by the way, is, no, is a word that no 13-year-old should ever have to understand. Ethan's family faced this disappointment and this pain, and they watched as their faith was being pushed to the limits. And instead of just curling up and looking inward or, or looking outward for the help of, of counselors and others, they chose to look upward to the one that truly can help them and meet them in the midst of their pain. Ethan says, I wouldn't trade my relationship with Jesus for anything, nothing at all. Some of you woke up this morning asking, my God, why? God, why? Maybe you had a loss in your health or somebody in your family has a loss of health. Maybe you lost something precious to you. You've lost your job. Or, or maybe even you lost someone that you love dearly. And you see a video like this and it raises those emotions that, man, they hurt so bad. But I hope that you leave here today realizing that the curtain has been torn. That, the, that God's very present in your pain. That there is nothing that you need to do. In fact, he's present right now. See, Jesus died on the cross and your sin has been taken away and you have full access to God. There's nothing that you need to do to get God to love you more. There's nothing that you need to do to make God want to be with you more. 
All you need to do is to turn towards him and look upwards to fix your eyes on Jesus. Could you pray the last words of Jesus? Could you say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Would you be willing to trust God in your pain today? Make that decision today. Because God has not left us without hope. God has invited us to live in hope. And this morning, I want to invite our spiritual care team members to come forward across all of our campuses that are coming forward right now. Because we recognize that in a message like this, in listening to words like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That there are some of you that find yourself in the midst of that story. And this morning, we want to minister to you. We want to direct your eyes upward to see Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross. So listen, we're not turning outward. We're going to be turning upward. Will you trust God with your pain today? Father God, this morning, we praise you for the fact that the curtain is torn. That God, your presence is with us. It is so easy for us to be lost in our pain, but God, you've promised us that we're not lost in pain anymore. You are right there with us. You've loved us as we are. There's no shame and there's no fear. God, we praise you for that, that we can come to you just the way that we are. And so, Father God, this morning, I pray that everybody within the sound of my voice would be filled with hope, that, God, they would be filled with courage to come to you, to come to a cross that is empty and that our sin is paid for. God, we praise you. We bless your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.